We are in Second Kings chapter 2. In Second Kings chapter 2, we pick up in verse 12. First part of chapter 2 we covered last time, and Elijah was taken up into heaven after he had crossed the Jordan by slapping it with his mantle, walking across, he and Elisha both. So they went across and the fiery chariot came on down, separated them, and he was caught up in a whirlwind into heaven. So in verse 12, And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. He took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now we saw last time, that we talked a lot last time about the mentoring part that Elijah did or didn't do with Elisha. That being a mentor has as much to do with the mentee as it does with the mentor that you have to be of the right mindset as the person being mentored, as the person who is doing the mentoring. So Elijah may not have been the best, best mentor, but Elisha was such a good mentoree that he overcame many obstacles that were there. And we'll see other people that the uh, flip side is, is the case. But he took up the, the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and he stood by the bank of Jordan. So everything went with Elijah except the mantle. The mantle comes back down to earth or just is left behind, however it is. And he uh, picked it up. Now, if you are going to be mentored to take over a spot, you have to be willing to take on, on the mantle. The mantle is not always just good stuff. It's not always just power and, and good things. We're going to see that Elisha has some problems to overcome as he picks this up. And no matter what person picks up a mantle, there are problems that you will encounter. Again, the double portion that he got is not a double portion of the anointing that was on Elijah, but as the Spirit of God would go upon those that, uh, out, that were under Elijah, he would ask for twice as much as everybody else would get. And he said, well, that's a hard thing. We'll see what, what uh, God says about it. As we said before, Elijah spent time in submitting to Elijah to be mentored, but Elijah does not seem too willing in his life to spend time duplicating himself. It's something we've got to make sure that we do. We've got to duplicate our, ourselves with the people that are younger than us so that we have people ready to step in. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So as Christ was going around, he, he uh, had disciples, he had people that he mentored. Hebrews 10:24 and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So we need to be out there doing these things. Anyway, chapter 2 verse 14, then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water and he said, "Where is the Lord God of Elijah?" And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now, when you take up a mantle, when you take up an anointing, you have got to be willing to put yourself on the line to use it. A lot of times we want to say, well, I want to take up that mantle, I want to take up that anointing, and then just kind of wait for stuff to happen. Elisha doesn't do this. He goes up to the very river that Elijah just slapped it with, with the mantle, and he slaps it with the mantle again. And again, it begins to divide. And he's able to, to walk over. Now, when the sons of the prophet who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, it says nothing in here that they saw... Elisha split the, the sea, the, the river, and walk across. But if they're going to say 
that the Spirit of God that was on Elijah rests on Elisha when it seemed to, to make sense that they saw him do the very same thing that they saw Elijah do. So they were there at a distance. They saw the, the Jordan split before. They're now seeing it again with Elijah. They, that's what I would take from that. Now, if you saw Elisha do the same things that Elijah did, sometimes we want to think that, well, Elisha should command the same respect that Elijah had. And if you were to think that, you were wrong. That is not the human way. That is not human nature. Human nature does not give respect based on things of that nature. And you're going to see this. And uh, you, you have to come to grips with that. Did they give Jesus respect? Should they have? Surely they should have. He was the Son of God. The, God anointed him. God sent him. He did wonderful things. But they didn't respect him, did they? He even prophesied that they wouldn't respect him. If they didn't respect him, they're not going to respect you. At least a lot of people are not. And you just got to come to terms with that. There are going to be some people that will and some people who will not. But don't ever get yourself to a place where you expect people to respect you. Because you will become disappointed. You will begin to um, want things from other people. And when you don't get it, the enemy will use it as an opportunity to discourage you from what you're supposed to be doing. So just, uh, just don't do it. But here we got Elisha. They say, well, okay, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And you would think that would be a good starting place for him. But apparently not. Now, if they did see, and I do believe they did, if they did see Elisha crossing the Jordan River after splitting it, you would think that a certain amount of awe and fear would be upon people for that. And word would spread. But that's not going to happen. And they said to him, Look now, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. Now, why you need strong men, I don't know. Why that's, <laughs> why that's in there, I have no idea, but nothing else they're saying is making any sense anyway. So they all knew that Elijah was going to be caught up into heaven. Elisha knew he was going to be caught up into heaven. He was caught up into heaven. And he's gone. And so they say, well, let's go look for him. We don't know. Maybe God changed his mind, dropped him off someplace. Who knows what happened. But maybe we should at least go out there and, and search for him. Lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men and they searched for three days. But did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? So he told them not to go, but they insisted on going. He said, Fine, go. I'm staying here. And they went and couldn't find him. And he says, Well, look, I told you not to go. And they did it anyway. You, if Elijah had said, Don't go, what do you think they would have done? They probably wouldn't have argued anymore about it, right? Well, I'll put in your outline here, we can insist that others respect us, but that is not God's pattern. We're going to begin to see this here. This is just a, this is just a, a tip of the iceberg. They don't want to accept no from him. They, want to, they, have a, they have a plan. They have something they want to do, and they're going to do it no matter what. But it's not God's pattern for people to respect us based on the anointing on our life, based on 
who we followed in ministry, they're not going to do it. Put in your outline this. When God puts his mark on us, the respect comes from those yielded to him. So when God has put his mark on us as his ministers, the people who will respect that are the people who are submitted to God. The people who, will, who are not submitted to God will not respect it. Now, what's that tell you about people that disrespect those that are under the anointing of God? <laughs> they're not submitted. They may think they're submitted, but they're not. Even Jesus said, if, if you knew my Father, you would know me. You would know that He sent me. If you knew Him, but you don't know Him. Now, he goes on here and Verse, we leave off at uh, 18. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. Now they're in the city of Jericho. Jericho is a city that was not supposed to be rebuilt. They rebuilt it. And people are living there. But apparently, somehow the water turned bad. Now the water wasn't always bad because they built a city here. So it had to have been good at some time. Somehow the water became bad. Now when God creates water, God creates it good. The only way we get bad water is if man or the curse of the earth is under does something and the water becomes bad. Otherwise it would always be good. So something has occurred that has brought the, the good water into something bad and... We see here, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. <clears throat> now, we'll see in some other things they say, it looks like there's some death from this water as well. But here, the, the main thing that we see is that the plants that they're trying to water with the water is killing the plants. And if you can't grow the plants, then you can't feed the animals and you can't eat the plants and you can't make bread from the the plants and all the different things. You need to be able to have plants. You need to be able to grow some stuff. And they're not able to do that. And it's hindering this, the city. Everything else about the city, they say, is real, real good. This is the bad part in here. So he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. So that's where you get the idea that it's either some, some animals or some people are dying from this water. Maybe they're just dying because of the lack of plants, but you would think they would have time to go and move someplace else. But uh, death is mentioned in here in what Elisha says. Now the mantle has come upon. He has picked up the mantle. They're expecting certain things out of him because they see that whatever was on the one that he followed, something of that is on him. And he's carrying around Elisha's mantle. So they brought the problem to him. I don't recall a single time anyone brought a problem like this to Elijah. The closest we have is the widow woman who brought to him the fact that her son died. But we don't really have a whole lot of people approaching Elijah. He seems to be not approachable or else we just don't have any of those stories in the, in the Bible. But they bring this to Elisha. I guess maybe they see Elisha, hey, we've been kind of chummy with you. We're afraid to get to Elijah, but we've been talking with you and you've talked with us so far, so we're just going to keep that relationship going on. I don't know. And they, they bring this up to him and he jumps right on it. But if you are going to walk in the anointing of God, people are going to put a demand on that anointing. Whether you feel like 
do anything about it then or not. People are going to put a demand on that anointing. So what he does is, he says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Now there's some, some very possible symbolic things here. And just uh, for your outline, there's, there are some similarities to Jesus' first miracle. What was Jesus' first miracle? He turned water into wine. For Elisha, we're going to turn bad water into good water. What is not drinkable into what is. But um, we have good water, as we said. Now, good water represents a number of things in the Bible. It represents the Word of God. It represents refreshment. It represents cleansing. It represents life. Life needs water. Bad water represents uh, a lot of evil things. Uh, Idolatry, evil spirits, death, pollution, weariness. All kinds of things are associated with the, the, the bad water or water that's uh, no longer any good. There are a few times that the people of Israel ran into some bad water situations. But he asked for a new bowl or a jar. Now I'm just going to make a reference over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who, was, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in what? earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. The earthen vessels, according to Paul here, is, uh, is what he calls us. We're earthen vessels. We're like clay. and we know We're something that will perish. We are perishable vessels. This vessel that we are in will go away. What he calls for is an earthen vessel. What does he put in it? Salt. What are we called to be? We are supposed to have salt in us. So he's basically, there's a little bit of a type thing going on. I don't know if Elisha really knew all this that was going on or if it was intended, but enough similarities are there that we're taking what is bringing death and we're taking earthen vessels, putting salt in it and putting that salt into the water, which brings life. Isn't that what we're called to do? Aren't we earthen vessels? And we're to take the salt of God and we're to go out and to distribute the salt. It's supposed to come through you. I mean, why not just grab the bag of salt and go out there if it's the salt that's doing it? But he gets a bowl and he puts the salt in the bowl. And then he takes the, the bowl out and he, he, I just carry the bag. Whatever they got the salt from, let's just take that on out there. But he doesn't. So it seems to be some, some kind of representative stuff there. Very well could be. A lot of things were done in the Old Testament as a type or representative that the people who did it didn't understand, didn't know. But we found out later on what was, what was going on. Well, we know from the uh, Bible, salt has a number of uses. We know from other places too that uh, salt preserves, it purifies, it causes thirst, it irritates, it seasons. It does a lot of different things, some of them good. If you ever go down to the, to the ocean, if you go swimming in the ocean, I remember going swimming in the ocean, and the, the salt water, can it affect your eyes? Sure it can. Especially if you open your eyes. If you keep your eyes closed, I guess it'll do some things. They probably won't do as much, but I don't know. I always open my eyes up into the water. Why not see? Mm-hmm. When we were down in Cancun, the one time we went down there, the salt down there is a lot more concentrated. Even if you kept your eyes closed, it's still going to get in. It's going to burn. But we had our eyes open because we were in 15 foot of really clear water. And so Christian and I were out there in the water and we were going down underneath and we were looking at everything we could. 
But boy, we came in, it was hours until our eyes got back to normal. They just burned and you know, that, that salt water just irritated. Didn't stop us, we went back in the next day. <laughs> Wasn't that bad. But, but it also seasoned. We all know that you know, certain things taste better with salt. Now, I don't know about you, but corn. I like corn with some salt. Now, I like potatoes with some salt, some butter and some salt. And oh, that tastes so much better. If you have a steak, how much better is the steak if you put a little salt on the, on the thing? Salt just changes the flavor. Oh, it makes it so good. Uh, we like that. Uh, we don't use it so much for purification or for preservation now. But of course, a lot of times you'll, you'll buy that uh, fish and they salted it. And you can, they actually just have it hanging in some of the markets over in the Middle East and places like that where they don't have refrigeration. And that fish will last for a long, long time. You don't have to refrigerate it. Just let it hang out there. And then when you're ready for it, you put it in the water and you, you, you soak all that salt back out of it. I think it's amazing. I have never eaten any of that. I've seen it in many of the fish, uh, fish stores that I've delivered stuff to. I see it hanging there. And uh, they tell me, oh, it's real, real good. You ought to try it. I say, nah, it's okay. I like refrigeration. <laughs> Get the fish, put it in the in the cold. I like ice, not uh, not salt. So I've never tasted it, but if you have uh, ever been out there to taste that, you you'll know. Of course, uh, it causes you to be thirsty. It uh, has some uh, effect that way. So anyway, this is these are some of the things that salt does. And as Christians, we're supposed to have that. We're supposed to have a preserving effect. We're supposed to have a purifying effect. We're supposed to help people get into the purification from the Word of God. <clears throat> We're supposed to be able to cause people to be thirsty for the Gospel. We're supposed to irritate people that are around us from doing the wrong things. Jesus irritated people. How many of y'all know that? And we season. In Scripture, I'll give you a number of, of Scriptures there. Leviticus 2, verse 13. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. So salt was to be part of the offering. We know the typology there. When you offer them, uh, Ezekiel 43:24. When you offer them before the Lord, the priest shall throw salt on them and they will offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. Matthew 5:13. Forget this and stop jumping around. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I've never had that, but can you imagine having a salt shaker and you put the salt on and it doesn't change the taste? That wouldn't be so good. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor... Well, we already read that and the other... Uh, Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So salt was a big part. Old Testament, New Testament. And we are to be that salt. So he takes this salt, puts it into the water, the bad water, and it becomes good. Now salt generally does not have that effect upon water. Most people don't like salt in their water. Did you ever have this when you were little? You know, if you lose a teeth, what they always have you gargle with? Salt water. Did you want to drink it? No, 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 no. We didn't, didn't want to do that. You wanted to spit it out. I don't know how much good it did. I guess, you know, salt has a healing bit of a property to it. So I remember doing it. But uh, I never remember swallowing any of it. We just uh, spit it out after we got done. But here's what they did. They put the salt on it and the water was good. Now they had to have faith in it. 
whatever it was doing, they had to go from there and use it for its intended purpose and believe that what Elisha said was going to come about. I'm sure that there are people who were going to be doubters. Well, this is this Elijah, this, this Elijah wannabe. How do we know that what he says is true? If Elijah said it, we know it would be so. But Elisha just comes out here and says, you know, give me some salt, give me the bowl. He goes in out there, puts it in, all right, it's healed. <laughs> he doesn't pick any of it up and drink any of it. He just says it's healed. And, uh, and that's all we had with it. Now we go on. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now whether that means he was bald or whether there was just a, a, a phrase they used to, to mock him or whatever. I, it was not good. Their intention was not good. That's all we need to know. Their intention was bad. They came out to mock him. That's what the Word of God says. They came from the city and they mocked him. Well, they came from Jericho. This is a city he just helped. So he's leaving. Remember where he started? He started on the other side of Jordan. He came to the Jordan. He goes from the Jordan to Jericho. He's going from Jericho to Bethel, which is exactly the opposite path that Elijah had taken before. So it seems like he's going on a, on a path all the way back on through. I would imagine he would go from Bethel over to Gilgal, but we don't get to be told what happens on, on that. We just know that he's going up from here to Bethel. As he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head, go up. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. 42. So there had to be a good crowd of youths who came on out. There was not just, you know, two, three, six, seven. Because 42 of them died by two female bears. I don't know why it's important that we know that they're female bears, but maybe if there was cubs around, you know, those female bears, they get real protective of their, of their cubs. The, the dads, I think, would just as soon kill them. But the, the, the moms protect them. And so maybe they had some bear cubs in the area. And uh, whatever it was, it's apparently made note that it was two female bears that came up from the woods and mauled 42 of the youths and went out from there to Mount Carmel. And from there, he returned to Samaria. So again, these youths come out. Could be out of Jericho. They could have also come out of Bethel. But they came out of one of these cities and they mocked him. I don't know that that's such a good thing to do. I mean, if, if he's taking up the mantle of Elijah, when Elijah confronted people, he called down fire. But Elijah doesn't call down fire. But he does call on the bears, apparently. <laughs> he just, he, he puts a curse on them. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. That's all he does. He puts a curse on them. I don't know what kind of things he said. I don't know if he specifically mentioned bears or if he said something about them dying before they got home or whatever it was, but he put on something that they knew that what happened to them with the bears was directly relational to the curse that he put on. Now, you would think that Elisha ought to be due some respect. He's followed after the man Elijah, however number of years that he's followed after him. He's done all these things. He picked up the mantle of Elijah. He came to the Jordan River, struck it, the Jordan River parts. He healed the waters over in Jericho and mock them. Well, just understand, no matter what good things you do for people and for the kingdom of God, and no matter what kind of anointing is on your life, there will be people who will mock you. But don't worry. 
You don't have to defend yourself. God will. Now this one, he put a curse on them, but it's God who brought that thing, brought that curse about. And 42 of these youth died. Now again, he's on his way to Bethel. Somewhere in between came out of the city. They, they did. Bethel means the house of God. Uh, Hosea calls it Bethaven, which is the house of wickedness. Because this is the place where idolatry worship was, was going on. Remember he put one of the golden calves up in Bethel? He put the other one up in Dan. And the people came and they worshipped. Well, we had the understanding of this. That just because we serve God, just because the anointing is on our life, just because we're doing things for God, people are going to disrespect you. Some of them are going to be Christians. Some of them are going to be heathens. But you will face some disrespect. And you can't take it out on God. You can't take it out on what you're going to do for the ministry. You can't take it out on the people. You've got to keep on going. You've got to be bigger than the disrespect that you get. Don't blame the disrespect on anything that is on you. Don't put the disrespect on, on anything that's on, any, on anything on them. People are just going to do it. Some of them, it's, it's just because they're not submitted to God. They're in the church, but they're not submitted to God. And they don't like something that you're doing. They don't like the color of your hair. They don't like the color of the shirts you wear. They don't like how you talk. They don't like some of the words that you use. Maybe they don't like your accent. Maybe they don't like the car you drive. There can be all kinds of reasons, and people will have all these, these kinds of reasons for, for not liking you or for disrespecting you. That's okay. Don't get hung up on these things. Let these things go. And you just going out there and you just do what God told you to do. You let God speak for, your, for who you are. If people want to go out there and disrespect you, well, we saw that when they disrespected Elijah, people died. When they disrespected Elisha, people died. We don't have to go around killing people or, or condemning people to this. But there, apparently there were some times that this was... Uh, Necessary. I guess Elisha saw this as in the beginning of the ministry. This kind of a pattern could continue on. So we're going we're gonna to make a statement here right now. Now, it doesn't mean that from this point on, everybody respected Elisha because they didn't. There were still people who didn't like him because he's a prophet of God. But that's all right. I put in your outline this. Not only must we be willing to be mentored, but we also must be willing to take up the mantle and all that comes with it. When you take up a mantle to serve God in whatever capacity God has put upon you, there are good and there are bad parts to that anointing, to that mantle that you pick up, to that ministry that you pick up. There are some things you are going to love about it and there are going to be some things that you don't like about it as much. But you take the good and the bad. Jesus had a one. how many of all say Jesus had a wonderful calling on his life? But there were some bad that came along with it too. And he had to be willing to take that. Peter had a wonderful calling on his life. But wasn't there some bad associated with it as well? How about John? Paul had a great calling on his life, didn't he? But wasn't there some bad that came along with, with that? Moses had a wonderful calling on his life. But was there not also some bad that went along with that wonderful calling? We can say the same of Abraham, of Joshua, of Israel. So many of them. There were great things but with those great things came great responsibility and came sometimes great persecution. 
and great opposition from the enemy. It's okay. Your God is bigger. Don't get mad at people. Don't get angry at people. Look at Jesus. Jesus is our example. He died for the people who were killing him. The people whom he healed, some of them were involved in the whole uh, process to get him hung on a cross. Some of them were out there in the courtyard saying, crucify him, crucify him. He's looking out there. He probably remembers. You were deaf when I met you. You couldn't see when I met you. You couldn't walk when I met you. And now you're here in this, this, place, in this courtyard crying out and you couldn't do that before. Can you imagine that? Somebody who couldn't talk being in a courtyard. Oh, but that's all right. Jesus went through this and so can we. Don't get hung up on what people do to you or what people do against you. You go on and you be the most loving, most caring, most anointed person that you can be. And you keep taking on that mantle because when you pick up a mantle that God has given you, there's all kinds of other stuff that comes along with it. And don't put it down. Don't be one who says, well, I'm just a little discouraged. Or let this come out of your mouth. Because this is what happens. We begin to think about these things and then out of our mouth is, I should be respected. You ever want to say that? <laughs> You'll respect me because... <laughs> no, they won't. They, they, maybe they should, but there's a lot of people who are not going to respect you. That's just how it's, how it's going to be. That's okay. They didn't respect Jesus. They didn't respect Peter. They didn't respect Paul. Some people did. A lot of people didn't. Just because they don't respect them doesn't mean that it's ministry is not good. We can think of our own present day things. Brother Kenneth Hagin. Most of us have a great respect for the man. But how many of you know people who have no respect for him at all? There are people who had great healing ministries. Brother Oral Roberts. Tremendous healing ministry. And yet people today will speak very poorly of him. They didn't have the respect for him. That will continue to go on. But if the anointing of God is on someone's life, I don't know that we ought to be speaking disrespectful of them. Don't, uh, don't sit there and point your fingers at the other folks. We've got to just take care of our own self. Father God, I am going to be submitted to you. And those servants of yours that you have put in place and you have put a mantle on, I will give them the respect because I respect you. And that's just how we're going to live our life. Now, you're going to run into a lot of people who are not going to live their life the same way. Don't change how you're living based upon what they're doing because our respect is based on Him. And because He told us to respect certain ones, we will do it because we're submitted. Respect has a whole lot to do with submission, far more than anything else. But you're going to run into a whole lot of unsubmitted people. We expect that out of the world, but you're going to see a lot of unsubmitted Christians who say they are submitted to God, but really are only submitted to their own will and only want to do what they want to do. We're going to run into it. It's going to be here. Elisha runs into it right here. Just as soon as he picks this up, look at what he faces. And he's going to face some more of this. There's going to be more of this coming on down the road, but he gets more and more confident in walking in the anointing that he's walking in and is less and less concerned with what goes on around him. But he will walk in this anointing completely different from the way Elijah did. And... However you walk, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine that he didn't walk in it the same way Elijah did. It's 
find that he walked in it the way that Elisha was going to. It's, it's, it's all good. It works out perfectly. It's, it's his personality to do it. And you're going to have a personality that's going to be a little different from how somebody else walks in the similar line. That's all right. God made us all different. Just make sure you're walking in submission to him. If God says, get rid of that, you get rid of it. If God says, that's okay, you can, you can keep doing it that way, then whether everybody likes it or not, you can keep on doing it that way. Father, we thank you that you have anointed us, that each one of us, Father, has picked up a mantle of some type, responsibility, something that we do in the body of Christ. And with that, will come good and will come bad. But Father, we're willing to take both. Not just the good, but we're willing to take on the parts that are harder, parts that are more difficult. And we won't sit around getting upset because people don't respect us, because people don't, people don't treat us a certain way. Father, we look at the way they treated your son, Jesus Christ. We look at the way they respected or didn't respect him. And we know that we're not going to get anything more than what he got in the area of respect. The people are not just going to bestow that upon us. But Father, we have, a, have to have a walk that is worthy of our calling, and we will do that. We thank you for all the help that you gave us in walking out our calling, carrying out the mantle. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.